0: The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddihy with Nissan on News Talk. Now tonight on RTE One Television and on the RTE Player, ten fifteen PM, a sporting chance will air. It is presented by none other than the journalist and broadcaster Joanne O'Reardon, who joins me now. Joanne, you're very, very welcome to the program, and thanks a million for taking the time to have a chat. Uh, What is a sporting chance? What can people expect?
1: Well, first of all thanks for thanks for having me on on the show um delighted to be a part of it so yeah i think a sporting chance is investigating and looking at whether our female athletes are getting an equal slice of the pie um in the sporting world at the moment you know last year we came off a very exciting uh year with richard blackmore katie taylor kelly harrington our paralympians the me the ladies footballers i could literally go on and name so many more (laughs) so you know it obviously dominated you know the airwaves you know the newspapers and and everything and I suppose we wanted to look at whether women are succeeding despite their circumstances or because of their circumstances and I think what we learned throughout the documentary is that we clearly time and time again we expect so much of our athletes but very few of them actually get you know a lot a lot of that pie at the end of the day um so yeah it should be an incredibly it's a fun journey I think that we go on We look at everything from finance to sponsorship to hormones, the menstrual cycle, psychology, um, and also weaving through it, we have three incredible sporting athletes um, from Amy Broadhurst, uh, the boxer, to Hannah Tyrrell, Dublin ladies footballer and former rugby player, and Michelle O'Neill, lineswoman, who's been to Olympics, Euros, Mm. World Cups, you name it, Michelle has done it.
0: (laughs) And and tell me, I mean, I I don't want to give too much away because I want people to sit down and watch it uh, tonight, but... uh, did you find that the inequality that exists, at what point does it become embedded? Like, is it uh, when kids take up sport initially? Is it as kids ta- begin to get more serious? Is it when you get closer to the elite ranks? Wh- wh- when does the inequality become more pronounced?
1: Yeah, it, it's so common at grassroots, you know, particularly in some of our, our main sports. You know, time and time again, we would have young girls kind of under what, under 12s, I think, is when they, they break up in the GA and they divide into girls and boys teams and you see time and time again that you know senior ladies as an example so your adult ladies team aren't being favored over under 12 boys in terms of pitch access you know which is it's a a shame you know i think in in an ideal world you would have your adult adult teams on an equal level and then go down through the grades that way so at under 12 then you're seeing that your senior ladies team aren't getting a fair crack at the whip like where's the where's the hope there you're also seeing a, a top a top kind of boardroom level you know decisions are being made that impact all these young girls you know at the moment we've got such a high dropout rate I think it's something like 56 percent of girls between 13 and 16 actually drop out for a variety of reasons and it's it's mostly because of body body image you know stigma because they have to wear white shorts and you know they're getting to coming to terms with their body and if they get a leakage if they're on their period it's very embarrassing for a a 12 to 13 16 year old girl even um so yeah you know it's it's definitely embedded in society Mm -hmm. and i think that then overcomes in unfortunately into the sporting world you know at the moment you know i always give the example of irish boxing at the moment two of our greatest ever boxers are female And yet there is zero women on the board at at governmental level. Like that's insane to me. And we have so many very inspiring and aspiring coaches who are women who could do a solid job.
0: And, and I guess as well, you, you kind of want to make hay when the sun shines, don't you? And you see that like a lot of people referring to the incredible success of the boxers uh, at the Europeans last week and how they're kind of Katie Taylor's children, as it were. You know what I mean? A lot of them, when you look at the age profile, they would have grown up looking up to her. And if we have still Katie Taylor fighting and we have Kelly Harrington and everybody else and Rachel Blackmore, as you mentioned, and we've had success with the uh, football team and the rugby team if you years ago as well in the six nations that you you, you don't want that to pass the nation by and if it is encouraging more people to play sport and more women rather young women and girls to take up these sports that they might not traditionally have played that you do afford them those opportunities that they don't take it up and then they find yeah they're kicked off the main pitch because the under 12 lads are training
1: exactly and i think the other thing as well is that a lot of you know girls now say in my local area who are inspired by um, the Irish women's football team, like there's the next club, I think is about 10 kilometers over the road. Like you want things to be ready and made accessible, you know, and you want the girl who wakes up in the morning and she goes, oh my God, I want to play football. You want to be able to bring her down to a club that's nearby where all her friends are going to go anyway. You know, I know that's part of sport is making new friends anyway, but like, you know, with girls and with women, like we tend to kind of bunch together. So we tend to do things in twos, which is good because, I mean, you also have someone who's like, right, if I'm going, you're going. Um, You know, but on the flip side, if you're taking young girls away from all their friends, you know, I mean, my niece, as an example, does judo and she has to go half an hour away from our house, you know, just to get to a judo class. You know, that's an insane commitment. And you'd want to really, really, really like that sport at the age of 12 when you don't even know what you want to do, you know, to do it. And I think that's one thing as well that we learn through the documentary is that inspiration and empowerment are byproducts of, of women's sport it shouldn't be like the main headline you know in taking up space the main headline should be what these incredible athletes are doing at senior level breaking down barriers all the time conceding or always exceeding expectations time and time again um and literally doing the best with very little what they have and i think that's something we really enjoyed you know kind of talking about and challenging but i think as well it's opening up to all the differences that exist you know for women you know it's about looking you know for example in sports science we kind of notice um like the the phrase used to be you know in sports science we'll just study the men and sure women are small men so it should all be applicable <laughs> and then the other thing was if they wanted to study women the scientist would usually give up because he'd be like look there's too many hormones it's too complicated i can't cope with this but it's actually not that complicated if you actually look down to it um you know and we're seeing a lot of you know kind of companies now coming on board saying yeah i want to sponsor you know science and investigations into how women actually mm-hmm. work and what makes them tick and that can only really make us better you know I was talking to an inter-county athlete recently in- He was telling me he's going for sprint training because his sprints aren't that good. And I was like, more power to you, pal. Um, But yet in women's sport, we tend to over like we tend to hide, you know, the one percent of our bodies, which is the menstrual cycle, our psychology, you know, and everything in between. So I found that oddly bizarre that he's very proud to be going to sprint training, but we're afraid to tell a doctor for feeling crampy or something that could, you know, change our training and make us a better athlete.
0: Well, where did this passion for advocacy come from, Joanne?
1: Yeah, like, I mean, I suppose I was born without my limbs. So like, I'm a natural advocate because the world and society isn't designed for me. And I'm constantly, time and time again, having to, I suppose, show people that you can live in a different light. still continue to do good things you know if you you want and if everyone is around you to help you and if you put your mind to it so you know i suppose it would always have started when i was young my parents my brother um you know they always fought for different things whether it was ramps in the footpath whether it was ramps going into building bollards to stop cars from parking um on the footpath but i think what we learned over time was that even though we're all advocating for joanne and for joanne to be the best that she can be and whatever it is We're actually advocating as well for like 100% of society. We're advocating for elderly people who may have a frame. We're advocating for mothers and fathers who have a pram and need to get up and down or into the pharmacy or the library or wherever it may be. So like the knock on effect from our work that we've done in Mill Street in particular in making it more accessible is that everyone can walk around freely. You Mm -hmm. know, and I think we have to change our narrative in that. Just because we're doing something for, in my case, we 25% of the population having a disability. For a woman's case, it be 51% of the population. We need to understand that it's not bettering 51%. It's bettering 100%. Um, so I think that fire was always inside me. And I think sport is a huge passion of mine. And I've always understood that sport can be a microcosm for society. But in return, if we get sport to be equal, we can then show society how to be equal. It's obviously very dreamy and very, you know, um, positive. And I'm a realist as well at the end of yeah. the day. I think it can be achieved, do, you know, not do, tomorrow, but in 10, 15 years time.
0: Does it, does it ever get a bit exhausting, though? I wonder, do you ever kind of resent having to do all of this advocacy? As in, you know, you think, you know, this stuff should happen without people banging the table.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's just down to the fact because, you know, people who are making decisions or, you know, people who are are responsible for a lot of the way society works these days, they haven't had encounters, you know, with someone like me, with a woman maybe, or different things. And I think on the flip side, you know, we talk about it too, too in the doc, like it's about putting yourself forward as well, even if you don't want to, because if you can make it better for someone, then a hundred other girls or people with disabilities as well in my case, you know, can mm-hmm. can be better because of it. So as I always tell everyone, like I'm happy to be the, the guinea pig, like maybe once or twice. But I think if you still continue, you know, like insanity is defined as doing the same thing over and over again, and expecting different results, it's the same as an advocate. If you're still banging on doors asking for basic things, you know, you have to change maybe your message or the narrative. And um, you know, it's 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 very like frustrating don't get me wrong especially you know from a personal point of view in you know I'm not guaranteed maybe like you know assistance you know to bring me to and from work and I have to rely on my parents or my siblings like that's you know imagine if you had to come into work with your dad or your mom like hanging off you like it's mortifying me with your parents sometimes you know but um you know I think that's as well where I find things a little bit tricky is trying to live that full independent life when I suppose the model at the moment in Ireland is quite medical in that. It's quite, you know, it's helping people with disabilities to stay at home and survive rather than actually thrive and live their life to the fullest, you know?
0: Yeah, you talk about kind of uh, having to put yourself forward. People will remember uh, uh, putting yourself forward at the UN. I mean, of all places, my God, uh, the General Assembly. That's 10 years ago, isn't it? It was 2012. Um,
1: Someone texts me saying it's time to actually stop riding that wave. (laughs)
0: But <laughs> I mean, what, what I was, what I was going to ask was not so much about that experience. Um, I, I'm with that, but stop riding that wave, Joanne. I'm with them. Um, <laughs> uh, what I was going to ask, though, was the challenge you put down to people to build a robot uh, that yeah. would be able to uh, do these tasks. I suppose simple tasks for a lot of people, but of course, uh, not so simple uh, for yourself. What came of that?
1: Yeah, like it's so funny, you know, seeing how technology has just advanced like so far. So at that time when I put forward the challenge, like it was just so like unheard of and brand new, and what's going on, and it's so funny because I, you know, since then I visited, you know, like Japan, you know, South Africa. I visited yeah. so many countries, and it was so funny in Japan seeing how much they rely on technology to do everyday tasks. I think what I've learned and what has kind of come of it more importantly is that a lot of people's minds are open to it. Like I was talking to a guy in a wheelchair recently and he was saying his house is actually a smart house. And it's mainly because of advancements in technology like you know Alexa or Hey Google, or you know different things like that. Um, so I think what we did was we opened everyone's minds. And I think now what I want to come from it now, 10 years later is I want to see a merging of those technologies and I want to see it become more accessible and probably cheaper, but at the same time, and I've spoken about this as well at the UN as well um, recently, is that I want to create a digital kind of literacy in that we can't hand people these technologies without actually telling them what to do. So that's something that I've been working on as well is just getting people like educated in how to work these things. And I noticed that when we were doing the robot, a lot of people were like, how are you going to work it? Like, what would happen? And I think part of that now is, breaking down that education barrier and saying it's okay to have your house controlled by a robot it's totally fine but it's about educating people then going forward so even though I personally still don't have it I, I've seen so much advancements, and it's just so exciting to see.
0: Well, Mike thinks you should run for president. Kieran, I think Joanne should run for the presidency in the future. She is a great person. Mike, thank you for that text and suggestion. Joanne, thank you for your time. Listen, it's been an absolute pleasure. And A Sporting Chance is going to be on RTE One Television tonight at ten fifteen. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cully with Nissan weekdays from four on News Talk.